Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, hello, everybody. Um, It's good to have you here today. Uh, We are continuing our series uh, through the book of Jonah. It's a great little four chapter Old Testament uh, letter, and today we're going to talk about the power of the Word, and I want to get right into it as, because it's a very important message. As this series is all about, it's called Go. Uh, it's about sharing our faith and going out into all the world, which is the primary calling of our lives. But I want to begin with a verse found in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, to give us a little bit of a push in this direction, then we'll start to dissect uh, Jonah chapter 3 in a bit. But in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, it says this. It says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now, that's a mouthful, guys. Any way you slice it, the, the Word of God, it's a mouthful about it. So let's look at these things very quickly as a, as a kind of a foundation to jump off. This Word of God, this new, this, these scriptures, they're just not ordinary words. They are able to divide soul and spirit. Now, that's an important thing because you and I are to be led by the Spirit of God. And these words are spirit. When Adam and Eve, before they sinned, they were led by the Spirit. They're led by God, God's Word. After they sinned, then you find God looking for them and said, They heard Him, mind. They were afraid, emotions. And so they hid the will. That's their will, their decision making. That's the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions. And so once they were separated from God through sin, they operated according to the soul. And we can do a lot of damage operating according to the soul, and we can misrepresent God in our mind, will, and emotions many times. But it's able to divide the two, and that's important because we want to be led by the Spirit of God. And if you listen closely to that verse, it said that it's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now, that's big also because how many people we see out there, especially on social media these days, they think they know what's in everyone's heart. It's an amazing thing to hear all these people claim to be the Holy Spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit, and He's the one that knows the deepest thoughts and feelings and intentions of a person. And so, but the big deal, though, I want to bring out here about the Word of God is this. Not just that it can get in deep with thoughts and intentions, not that it can separate soul and spirit, but it's also living and it's active. Now that's, that, that's huge because the word living basically means it's alive. It, it, it means it, is, it has power in itself. It, it's not lifeless. It's got this power. And it's also active, which means it's active, but within its activity, it's operating. So it's alive. It has power in itself. And it's operating at all times. That's the word of God. Now, when you think about this word of God that we are to share with people, that it's alive and it's got power in itself 
and it's active, my question is this. What if we really believe that? What if we really believe that when we share the words of God with people, that it has movement, there's activity, and when it gets into the mind and starts going deep in the thoughts and the intentions as we share with somebody, no matter what it looks like on the outside, it is beginning to nudge them little by little towards Jesus Christ. What if we believe that? What if we believe this word of God had that kind of power? Just like when we flick a light switch, we expect the power and the light to come on because we flicked the switch. So to this word of God, when we share this word of God, the light comes on in people's lives and begins to nudge them towards Jesus Christ. What if we really believe that? I want to tell you, hold that thought there because we're going to talk about that today. Jonah, Jonah's on the run. We've watched this. Jonah's on the run because he hates people, especially he hates those Ninevites. They are Assyrian, and we've already talked about what they've done. We know, though, when you read the rest of the book, we know he doesn't want to go there not only because he hates them, but because he knows of the power of God's word to change people and to cause them to repent. He knows that. We find that out in chapter 4. It brings people to repentance. But what if we believed it like Jonah believed it? What if we believed this word of God had power? I think sometimes after a while, we just don't believe that anymore. But just because we don't believe it doesn't mean it's not true. So we're going to look at the power of the word of God today. But first, I want us to look at our key verse. Now, wherever you're at watching this, I want you to say this out loud with me as I read it. And it's found in Romans 10, 14. This is what we read every week. We say it every week in this particular series. And it says this. Here we go. How then will they call on him? Him is Jesus. In whom they have not believed. How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Now, if you think about that verse, it's beautifully set up. They cannot call on Jesus Christ for salvation. And the previous verse, if you went back and read it, it says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But they can't call on him if they've um, never believed in him. And they can't believe in him if they've never heard about him. And if they've never, they can't hear about him because there's no messenger, there's no preacher. It's very systematic. I really like the way it's set up. Now, we've taken that verse, and we've reduced it into a statement, and the statement is this. Say it with me. If we don't go, how will they know? That's what that verse is telling us. If we don't go, how will they know? So now we're going to look at the power of God's word. I want to convince you again, because I know at one time you were convinced, follower of Christ, but I want to convince you of the power of the word of God. Now, Jonah, at this time, as we begin chapter 3, Jonah has been vomited or spit up onto the land. And I have to believe, it's just a personal belief that I think, because the fish has been swimming, remember we talked about that last week? The fish has been swimming back to the shores of Israel and the Mediterranean, because that's the direction Jonah's got to go to Nineveh. And I personally believe that that fish spit him up on the shores of Joppa. Joppa 
is a place where he bought the ticket, got on the ship to take off into the wild blue yonder to Tarshish to get as far away from Nineveh as possible. I think God brings him back to the spot where he made his big mistake, where he got off mission with God. And isn't that a great thing that God will bring us back to that spot where we made a pretty bad decision to go one way instead of the other way. We didn't quite listen to God and God brings us back to the beginning to start over. I really enjoy that about God. Now, we know that Jonah has been swallowed by a big fish and I shared a little bit last Sunday, I think in the Sunday night outdoor service and I want to build on that a a bit more right now. That um, when you read a story like that, you have to take into consideration that that's got to be a supernatural event. That tells me that God is specifically involved in the situation. Why? Well, because big fish have eaten humans before and humans die. But in this case, Jonah doesn't die. And so that tells me that God has injected himself into what a naturalist would say is a closed system. They think we're a closed system because they don't believe there's a God. But whenever you see something that goes against the grain of what is logical and normal, you know that God has injected himself in there. And I love stuff like that. (laughs) You know why? Because when you see the supernatural, you know it's the supernatural, such as a resurrection from the dead. Now, I also want to tell you this, that when you share your faith, if you ever came to this story or if somebody ever said, I just cannot believe that somebody could be swallowed by a giant fish and then live. I I can't buy that. Now listen, friends. I'm going to give you some advice. I believe wholeheartedly that this is a literal story because in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40 in the New Testament, Jesus affirms that it's true. It's a literal story. And if Jesus, the creator of the universe, who created everything, and has dominion, if he says it's true, guess what? It's true. And he's the one that directed the fish in the first place because he's always been. Jesus wasn't, didn't start beginning when he was born. He always was. He had no beginning. Now, if somebody questions a story when I'm sharing with them, I don't get in a debate over that. If they want to believe it's some kind of made-up story, fine. fine. I don't have a problem with that. I believe it's literal, but I'm not going to debate that. Because that's not what your faith and my faith rests on. Our faith is built on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that alone. And never forget that, otherwise you'll go into all these side journeys that won't take you anywhere with someone. That's why it's more important to know the evidence of the resurrection. Because there's a lot of evidence. Lots of evidence. And so stay on task with that. Now, today I want to give you three things because Jonah has now been spewed out onto the shore. Three things that I think are vitally important that are very practical in approach. The first one is this. When it comes to the power of the word of God, first off, number one, God gives Jonah the words to speak. God gives Jonah the words to speak. And then look at verse one and two and it says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. Now, let me tell you the mo- the, some of the most beautiful words in this letter. 
It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. That's the grace and the mercy of God. Isn't it good to know that our God loves us so much, not angry with us, but when we get off mission, then we finally get back, the word comes back again. It's like he's not done with us, that he pours out great and grace and mercy upon our life. But here's what I want to tell you about this. The word again. It came to Jonah again. If you have kids or younger brothers and sisters or nieces and nephews, or you remember when you were a kid and your parents told you to do something and you go, yeah, yeah, and they told you to do it again. Yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. And they told you to do it again and then again and then again and then again and then again. And they kept having to tell you, come on, you, you got to do this. <clears throat> Isn't it funny how that as a child, we, were, we could be that way, but some things are hard to break, huh? That we can do the same thing to God. God says, go do that. Oh, yeah, yeah, maybe I'll think. Of, go do that. Oh, yeah, maybe. And so sometimes God has to intervene in our lives to get us back on mission, to get us to do the right things. Now, Jonah is given the words to speak, and there's what I want to drive in on this point. I think that one of the um, walls of fear that we have in sharing is simply this. What, what, what if I don't know what to say? Now, we touched on this briefly two weeks ago, but I want to drill down even further. What, what if I don't know what to say? Now, that's a legitimate fear. Never, never doubt the fear. It's a legitimate fear. But did you know that Jesus anticipated your fear and my fear of, what, what if, I don't, I don't know what to say, what, what if I say the wrong things? He anticipated that with a promise. Now, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is speaking, and it's an interesting thing that he says in verses 18, 19, and 20. He says this, and you will, be, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Now, in the previous verse that I didn't read, because it's, it's a big text, he talks about that you'll be brought to the court in the synagogues. He's saying there'll be times in our life, possibly, and we see this in other countries already, where being a Christian, sharing your faith, that you will rub against the grain of organized religion, and you'll rub against the grain of government. Now, we're seeing this a little bit more and more in America, just being honest with you. That our Christian beliefs are being pushed back against the beliefs that basically this country was founded on. And so we're seeing some of that, and I pray that it never continues to escalate. It's very important that it does not. Now, Jesus in verse 19 says, continues to say, But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say. For it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. Oh, he says, don't worry about what you're going to say because you're going to testify. Don't worry about what you're going to say. In that moment, it's going to be given to you. And then verse 20 says, for it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Whoa, guys, what a great promise. He anticipates our fear, then he gives us a promise. And here's the promise. The Holy Spirit, when you are sharing, 
You never have to worry about what to say because the Holy Spirit is going to give you the words in that moment. Now, let me also say about that, that does not eliminate the need to study, to read, and to memorize the words, the scriptures in your Bible. That does not eliminate that because Jesus would also say that the Holy Spirit will bring all things to your remembrance. So I like to say that scripture like this, whatever's installed can be recalled. You must install the word of God in you so it can be recalled, so the Spirit of God can bring it back to your remembrance. <clears throat> and in those moments, you can be confident that the Spirit of God will give you the words to speak. Now, some of you, you know this by experience, multiple times, many times over. You share with people the gospel, and then you walk away going, those words came out of me? I said that? Wow, where did that come from? Let me tell you where it came from the Holy Spirit, who lives inside of you. But when you say, those words came out of me, I will say yes and no. Yes, you spoke them, but they didn't come from you per se. They came from the Holy Spirit living in you. Remember, the Word of God at the beginning is living and active. It's alive in you. So you spoke them, but the Holy Spirit inspired them. I want you to think about that. Because people will tell you, oh, this, the Bible, that's just written by men. Say, you're, you're right, it is written by men. Men, God used men, their mind to be able to write down the words, but it is inspired by God. The same way when you and I share our faith, we are speaking it, but the inspiration of what to say is brought to our memory by the Spirit inside of us. It's a combination of God and man coming together. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's what you see whenever you share your faith. It's a combination of man and the spirit of God moving together as we obey and the words are dropped into our mind. Never fear, never wonder, well, I don't know what to say. It's living and active and it's moving in your life. And you will be amazed at the wisdom of the word that comes out of you. He made a promise to us. Believe the promise again. Now, the second point I want to make is this. The Ninevites, who he's supposed to go preach to now, they are converted because of the word of God. Mm. Look at verses 3, 4, and 5. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, once he spit up on land, that's 375-mile walk, thereabouts. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. It is huge, guys. It's a big city. A three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. He's walked about one day in that city. And he cried out and said, here's his words, remember? He's waiting for God to tell him what to say, what the message is. And here's what God gave him. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God and they called a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Now, now think about this, guys. <clears throat> Eight words. That, that's the message. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. I like that first half. It's number eight. Eight is the number of new beginnings in Scripture. 
So there's a possibility for a new beginning for these people in the city of Nineveh. But here's where I want to ask you a question, two questions. In chapter 1, when the sailors are freaking out, what changes their mind or what is used to convince them to turn to Yahweh and be converted to Him? It was a sign. It was a storm. And all of a sudden, throw Jonah in, boops, calm as calm can be. That was a sign. And they believed in Yahweh. But in chapter 3, what is used by God to cause a massive city to repent? Eight words. And yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Eight words of God that God gave to Jonah. The word of God. The power of the word of God. Why? Because it's living and active and it's powerful. That's all he does. He walks around saying that. Now here's, my, here's the next thought I want to throw in your mind. We know Jonah hates them, right? We don't like them at all. Do those words, can you imagine, or how would you say, how do you think they came out of his mouth? Do you think he said, hey everybody, Come on, in 40 days you're all going to go down unless you repent. Come on, let's all repent. Or you think he said it like, yet 40 days and Nineveh's going down. <laughs> I think he said it angry. Uh, I don't think he had any compassion at all because he just doesn't like these people. But it doesn't matter what he feels or thinks. The word of God that goes forth, it's living and active. But that leads me to think about something. It's dangerous for Christians. Jonah's will is bent by God through that experience in the Mediterranean in that giant fish. But we find out in chapter 4, his heart is not bent. His heart has not changed. We all know what that feels like, huh? What's it like to have to lug around our insides, Christian, when we go, I got to do the will of God, but I don't want to do it. What's it like to lug around our insides? Well, on the outside, we do it, but on the inside, we're hating it. Well, you know, I'll forgive them, but I don't have to like them or be around them. What's that like to lug that around? Well, you know, I'll tithe, but I don't have to like it. Or, you know, I'll be loving to them, but I don't have to love them. What's it like to lug that around inside? It's like the giant fish with Jonah. You think that giant fish is going, I really like lugging this guy around inside of me. It's the same thing. But Christian, listen to me. That's got to be torture. To, to do the will of God, but inside you're hating it? You're lugging that thing around inside of you? Let me tell you what Jesus did. Jesus one day told this to religious people. And I, and I got to say it that way because if you're a follower of Christ, you're not religious. You're in a personal relationship with Jesus. That's why when they say a certain percentage of Americans are Protestant, that doesn't mean they're in born-again experience. It just doesn't mean that. There's plenty of people that are just religious, and we're seeing many denominations split because many of these uh, re religious people are going towards what we call a liberal interpretation of the Bible and people are staying pure, I would say, with the pure side all the way. Because you don't want to bend and twist the Word of God to fit your emotional soul experience. But, but think about it. 
Jesus says this to religious people, and we should not be like this. He says to them, he says, you're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but on the inside, they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Can you imagine the religious people hearing that? They were steaming. What is he saying? Okay. That's a visual for them. Because you see, at Passover time, what they would do, because there were tombs along the road that people traveled, and people are coming from everywhere at Passover, they would send people out to whitewash them, paint them white. Why? So the people, these pilgrims coming there for Passover, they wouldn't touch these tombs because inside are dead bodies. And if they touch those tombs, that means they're defiled because of the dead bodies inside. So they'd whitewash the tombs. Looks great on the outside, but death on the inside. That's religion. No transformation in the heart. That shouldn't be our lives. We're in a personal relationship with the Spirit of God lives inside of us. You shouldn't be saying, well, I forgive, but I don't have to like them or be around them. I'll be loving to them here, but I don't have to love them. That's religion. That's not relationship. Now back to the issue. Jonah sees these people converted by eight words of God. And they're, they're all changed. Now let me, let me help some of you out. <clears throat> let, me, let me kind of balance this whole thing out. Some of you, or some of us, are great at, um, um, at the word of God. We're great at sharing it. Some of us, we're great at the application of the word of God in our sharing. Let me explain. So that nobody feels like, you know, well, I, I can't even, I can't remember three verses. I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. In John chapter 11, um, there's this great story, New Testament gospel. Uh, Jesus' friend, Lazarus, is dying. The two sisters, Mary and Martha, they dispatch someone to Jesus who's not in the city of Bethany there. They say, you need to come because your, your buddy Lazarus, he, he's, really, he's near death. Jesus gets the message and he waits two days. You say, that's callous. Well, there's reasons for it. I don't have time to go through that whole story, but there are plenty of reasons. Jesus is going to prove a point that he's the resurrection and the life. He can bring people back from the dead and he does. But he waits two days. And then he goes to Bethany where Lazarus is dying. By the time he gets there, Lazarus is dead. When Jesus gets near this commotion and Martha, one of the two sisters, runs outside. She breaks protocol where they would mourn inside for like seven days. She breaks protocol. She goes out to Jesus and she says to him, Lord, had you had been here, my, my brother would not have died. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. She says, I know he'll rise on the last day, resurrection on the last day. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, <clears throat> yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Whoa. Jesus used the word of God to share with her, and it worked. Then he continues on. As he gets near the house, the other sister, Mary, comes out. And it says that she's crying. Crying. Because her brother's dead. And she asks the same question. 
Lord, had you have been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus doesn't do the same thing he did with Martha. He doesn't say, oh, your brother will rise again. They didn't have that. No, they didn't have that discussion. You know what it says? Shortest verse in the Bible. You know what it is. Jesus wept. She was crying. Now he's crying. He didn't speak any words. But he applied the word because the word is compassion, filled with compassion. And it worked for Mary. Let me tell you what that means. Some of you are strong in the word. Man, you can rip off 100 verses and dialogue with people. You know, Pastor Charlie Bacar asked me last week, asked us last week, what would you have been if you weren't a pastor? I said, that's easy. I'd been a prosecutor and attorney because I'd love to get somebody on the stand. I'm just being honest, okay? Because I can, I, I can think quick on my feet. I can recall things. God has given me that ability. And I listen for inconsistencies. And I can debate. And I can do all that. And man, I know a lot of verses. So I can get people backpedaling. But I know I shouldn't. I know not to do that. But man, I, I, can, I can debate. I can go scripture to scripture. I can go toe to toe. It's fun for me. Because I can recollect. And some of you are like that. You're like, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. And that's the way it works for you. But then there's a flip side of that. Jesus wept. And some of you out there, you have a struggle memorizing five verses. But you feel, and you have compassion, and you have mercy, and you have a great bedside manner, which I wish I had. And you can cry with people, which I wish I had the ability. And that works just as much as the other side of us who can spit scriptures out fast, they both work, and they're both right, and they're both valid. It's just two sides of a coin. And I want to say that so you'd feel free and wouldn't feel like, well, I, I can't do it like that. No. No, they, they both work. Now, the third thing I want to share is this. Make sure you are secure of your salvation. Now, you want to make sure you're secure of your salvation. Now watch verses 6 through 10. It says this. When the word reached the king of Nineveh. Oh, see, before it went to the people, they're all repenting. Now it reaches the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on some ashes. Hmm. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat. Or drink water. Mm. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. That's a sign of mourning. And let men call on God earnestly. That each may turn from his wicked way. And from the violence which is in his hands. Wow. What happens there is it's a true thing in history. That first the masses come to Christ. And then the classes. First the masses come to Christ, then the classes. And then verse 9, he says this. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we shall, shall not perish. But when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Do you see what just happened there? 
the king of Nineveh, massive city, he calls for a day of national repentance and national prayer. Everybody pray. Everybody fast. Everybody repent. Wouldn't that be great if that happened in America? Wouldn't it be great if they all turned to Yahweh God? I saw the movie Dunkirk. It was pretty good. I don't know if you saw it or not, but it's a true story. Where all these Englishmen cross the channel in their boats to rescue over, I think over 300,000 Englishmen and other allies that were stuck on the coast there in France. World War II. Hitler's armies were approaching. They're going to get slaughtered. The movie showed how they came in their boats and rescued everybody. About a couple months later, I was reading. And that movie didn't tell the whole story. They left out the best part. And, you know, I don't expect them to include God. It's rare that Hollywood ever does that. And I'm not blaming them. That's just not the way they think. But did you know what happened behind the scenes of that rescue? Do you know the, the, the governmental leaders in England called for a national day of prayer? Everybody pray. And they did. And the churches were full and they prayed to God. You know what happened? To this day, they don't know why Hitler stalled. He stopped his army. They could have marched on. They could have destroyed that army sitting there, but they didn't. They can't explain that. To this day, that day, that, that sea, that channel, which can be choppy, was smooth. On that day, there were clouds covering the sky so the German planes couldn't fly. A national day of prayer. It's what our country needs. And you all know it. You all know it. I don't know that'll ever happen. That's the only way to turn our country in directions that are right, because only God can lead us in the right direction. I'm going to share my heart a little bit right now based on Bible. I will always base it on Bible. I'm going off message now. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, Micah's the book right after Jonah. He says three things, but to do justice. Boy, that's the big scream today, huh? Justice, justice. But he says, but to do justice and to love mercy. You can't carry out justice without mercy. And after he says, but to love mercy. You must love and love mercy and give mercy. And then he says, and to walk humbly with our God. Justice can never be carried out by angry people. 
Because when you're left, after it's all over, you're going to have angry people. Justice can only be carried out God's way. But to love mercy and to walk humbly. You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God because humans can't figure it out. Only God can. Only God can. And you may not like what I just said, and you may throw your rebuttal up there, but my office is here at 1760 you know, Western Avenue. You want to come and dialogue these things, I'll be glad to. But it's not my feelings. It's not what I think. It's not my soul. It's what it says. It's what it says. It calls for a national day of prayer. It would be great if we did that. No, i got to move on in this message because that, that, that was just something I felt needed to say when I saw that national day of prayer there. Notice what the king says in verse 9. Who knows? Who knows if God's going to hear our prayers and, not, and, and spare us and not destroy us? I think some Christians sometimes wonder that. Who knows? Am I really saved? You know, uh, you know am, am I going to make it to heaven? You know, who, who knows? <clears throat> that can be a lot of spiritual stress, can't it? Who knows? No. But think of people outside of Christ. Think of religious people outside of Christ. Jim, that's, yes, I clarified that earlier. Religion gets no one to heaven. It's no one in relationship. It's a relationship with Jesus. Think of the people in religion. Think, think about them. <clears throat> you know what you hear them say? Well, you know, just I just believe you got to be a good person, and you know, and hopefully you're going to make it. Well, the question then is, how good is good enough? And no one can answer that. No one's been able to answer that one for me. Is, who knows how good? Who knows? But religious people, if there's somebody religious out there, listen. Think about this. I grew up in a belief system of religion. I grew up that way. And I passed the test. I did. I passed the entrance exam when I was a little kid. I'm in. But after that, the whole thing was, well, you just got to do your best and, and hope that at the end of your life, you know, you're going to make it to heaven. He'll accept you. But who knows? Let me illustrate that. What if... What if um, 1980, when I met Olivia, what if when I, I met Olivia and I said, hey, you know, hey, hey, babe, you know, I really like the way you look and stuff like that. And, you know, and then what if I said, uh, you know, one day I want to marry you. But first, I've got this book. It's the book on house cleaning. Take this book and it's going to show you how to scrub the toilet, make the beds, wash the dishes, cook the food right, polish the furniture, mop the floors, clean the windows, everything. It's going to show you how to do that. <clears throat> it's got all the laws of house, clean, of house cleaning. And she takes the book. And she does it for 50 years in hope that she does it good enough that in hope after 50 years that I'll look at her and say, I accept you because you did it right. 
Question. What woman in the right mind would take, would do that? And the answer is nobody. But we do that with God all day long. You know, we got this, this rule book here, you know, all the laws, and we think if I'm just good enough that maybe at the end of my life he'll accept me. Maybe I'm just going to be good enough for that. That's not the way it works. That's religion. See, Jesus looked down and he said, there's a way better way because you'll never be good enough, Jim. You'll never be good enough. Because if you work that other way, you're always going to be insecure in your salvation. You'll never be sure. You'll always wonder if you're good enough. You're just going to say, well, I hope I make it. Jesus came down. He had a better way. And he says, Jim, your sins are in the way because you couldn't keep the law of housekeeping book. You couldn't keep the rules of scripture. You can't keep the laws. You're going to violate them. You're just not good enough. But I'm going to come down and I'm going to go to a cross and I'm going to carry your sins. And I'm going to shed my blood so that you could ask me to forgive you because the blood, because I've carried your sins and I could wash all your sins away. All the ways you violated the housekeeping book, you know, the laws of scripture. And I'm going to rise from the dead to conquer sin and death to give you life. Because you can't make it to me, but I can come down to you. I can come down to you. Because you'll never be good enough. There ain't a human on the planet going to be good enough. So God came to us. And if you're out there today, and you're not a follower of Christ, you know what? You can be sure of salvation. But you'll never be sure if it's always, well, I just hope I'm good enough. I hope I make it. No. I want you to be sure. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, Jesus already did all the work, man. He said it is finished. It's a done deal. But you've got to put your faith in him and become a follower of him. And the spirit of God will come and live in you. That's the transformation power. And you must live according to this. See, the Word of God is living and active. It divides soul and spirit. So you no longer live according to your mind, will, and emotions, but you live according to the Spirit. No matter what you hear or see out there. And you follow Him. And your sins will be forgiven. Why is that a big deal, Jim? Well, because our sins separate us from God. God's holy. Sin cannot be in His presence. So somebody had to wash that away. Jesus did it. And He paid a big price for it for you but you got to take him up on the offer you can be secure and sure in your salvation but you got to take him up on the offer so if you never placed your faith in Christ right now is the moment right now is the moment or maybe a backslid maybe you walked away maybe you're a runner like Jonah it's time to quit running and just get this thing right just live it just come on let's follow him now Get back on mission. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus and you would, and you want to today, oh, praise the Lord. Or you backslid. You walked away, you're off mission with God and you want to come back to Christ. Well, praise the Lord too. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to say this prayer. Say it in blocks. Say it slow. So you repeat this prayer right there where you're at. Now, I like to say this every week during our time like this, that 
Um, if there are people around you like family and you feel kind of awkward saying it out loud, I get it, I get it. Say it in your head. But after we're done, tell them, I said that prayer. I, I put my faith in Jesus. You got to tell somebody. So repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you would die in my place. You're my substitute on that cross for my sins. I place my faith in you today. Forgive me of all my sins. And I know I'm forgiven. Today, I make you my Messiah, my Lord and Savior. Now, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes out there, bow your head, and I'm going to pray for you. God, I pray for those who said that prayer for the first time ever in their life or in rededication. I pray that you walk in the security now, that Jesus did the work and you don't have to wonder and worry, am I saved, am I gonna make it? No, Jesus did the work, you put your faith in him, you follow him now. I pray that you become to the love of God and learn it more and more and understand how great God is, that God's not mad at you like some people say, that God's only a God of judgment, which is not true. He's not just a God of judgment. He's a God of love and mercy and grace and forgiveness and everything else. That you would know the true God. And the Father in heaven and the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit now living in you. That's what I pray for you. Thank you. Thank you, God, for saving. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm glad you prayed that prayer. I'm glad you put your faith in Jesus. We have many, many digital gatherings you can choose from. As I like to tell you, I do a weekly verse-by-verse Bible study. Right now, I'm in the Old Testament letter of Ruth. Every week, it's live at 4 o'clock on our church Facebook page. Then it goes to other avenues, podcast, our YouTube page. It's called the Bible in Depth with PJ. Take advantage of it. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.